<laughs> Thanks, John. My name is Brett, and uh, I, I thought, you know, I could give John some things to say about me, but you don't know me from Adam. So here's what I'm going to do just for a couple minutes is I will answer any question that you have that you would want to know about a guy who's going to speak to you tonight, and then I'm going to return the favor, and I'm going to ask you, not individually, but you as a group, some questions. So what can I tell you about myself that you would like to know? Where is my home church? That's a really kind of good question. Um, I, I've been an interim pastor of a church and through the summer, and now I'm kind of waiting for my next assignment. So I'm actually, for the first time in 30 years of being a Christian, kind of church-less. So, but I know a lot of people in town, and so I'm visiting the pastor friends that I know. This last Sunday, we were at the church at South Las Vegas. Benny Perez leads that church, Betty and Wendy. and uh, Benny and Wendy, not Betty. Uh, Benny and Wendy Perez. So, yeah. But we moved here, and we started a church called South Hills church community, and that's on the south side of town in Henderson, and so that's kind of was our dive into uh, Las Vegas. Thanks for asking. So, somebody else. Where am I from? I grew up in Anaheim, California, and uh, I literally, I grew up so close to Disneyland that I literally could throw a baseball at the Disneyland Hotel. I never did, but uh, so did you grow up here too, in Orange County? So I'm really, a, I'm a southern, I'm a native Southern Californian, and uh, so lived there till I was 18, and then and then did some other things. So, anything else I can tell you? Yeah, what's your name? Cynthia. I have been walking with the Lord since I was 18 years old. So, um, and I'm now 28. Just kidding. <laughs> so, um, 10 years. No, uh, I'm 55, so you can do the math. So it's been, I've been, I spent more of my life walking with the Lord than not walking with the Lord. So thankfully, thankfully. So somebody else. Um, that's a really good question. Um, you know, honestly, um, probably the, the driving force that made me investigate becoming a Christian was the fact that my family was as messed up as it was. Um, my dad was a football coach, and my mom was a hairdresser, and they should have never married. And they did get married, and they had me and my brother, and they divorced when I, when I was four. And, our, and you know, it's just, a, maybe some of you know this from experience, but a divorced home is just not the way God intended it to be. And so my mom did the best she could to raise us, but I, I kept thinking, you know, I want... I want to do things right. I want to find a woman, be married, have kids, raise them right. How can I do that? My family's so screwed up. And I, um, I was kind of searching and praying, and God led me, I believe, to embrace the claims of Christ as a senior in high school. And, um, and he fulfilled all the longings of my heart. Another question. I I did I I did go to a uh, I went to a seminary actually I went to Whittier College, it's not it's in L.A. County but not far from Orange County and then I went to a school called Talbot Theological Seminary which is a graduate school of Biola University and and I'm biased but I would say it's one of the finest theological training schools in America and. Um, Guys like uh, John MacArthur and Josh McDowell and um, uh, are, are long-term, you know, long-go graduates of there, but there's some fine guys teaching at Talbot now, too, who really lead the way in our country. So I got a Master's of Divinity degree from there. So, Cynthia, back to you. What is my belief? Well, I'm going to talk about that tonight, and that's a good thing. I, I want to, here's what I want to do, is I want to talk about heaven tonight. In fact, I'm going to do this week and next week, and we're going to talk about heaven. And so I'm going to talk a lot about what 
the, uh, not just what I believe, but what the Bible teaches. We're going to look at what the Bible teaches about heaven. And uh, I bet your, I hope your brains go have a little bit of something like, woo! I didn't know that. Uh, in fact, you can just do this with me. Just kind of take your hands and just kind of, kind of. If you have an experience tonight where you're like, whoa, I never heard that before. That is cool. Yes, give me one of these. At any time, you're like, okay, my brain just expanded beyond where it was before I walked into this room. So, now how come anybody hasn't asked me about my wife or my kids? I have three kids. They're great. I have two sons and a daughter, and they were like this, and now my sons are 26 and 25. And I have a daughter who's 19. My oldest Kyle teaches at uh, teaches at Western High School here in town. He just got summer and bought a house here in Vegas. My second son is um, maybe one of the coolest guys. I'll put it, next week. I'll put a picture up of my second son. He's one of the coolest guys. He works for REI and uh, lives in Los Angeles. And then my daughter is a sophomore at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, and she's studying architecture at the best school for architecture in America. And so God's really blessed us with three neat kids, all thanks to their mother. Yes, sir. I've been married 28 years to the same woman and uh, um, very thankful for that. And so back to what I was saying about growing up in a broken home, and God answering prayer. So now I've been married 28 years, have three kids, was able to see all those kids raised up. And I kept saying as my kids were growing up, I kept saying, oh, this is what it means to be a family. Oh, this is what happens when moms and dads stay together. Oh, this is what happens when mom and dad love one another. And this is what happens when mom and dad cooperate. And this is what happens when mom and dad combine their incomes and can buy a home and those kinds of things, which I never experienced as a kid. So, um, yeah. So, yes, sir. What's your name? John. 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 You introduce yourself to me. I'm sorry, I forgot. Yes, um, several, um, and one real serious one that would take the whole evening to talk about, and maybe someday, years from now, you can invite me back, and I'll talk about that, but um, I did have a, just real quickly, it, this is more on the positive, but I, it, for 10 years in, in the 1990s, I was a youth pastor at a big church in the San Francisco Bay Area. I served there for 11 years. And I had a neat ministry. We had 200 high school students in our high school ministry. And it was great, amazing church, fun, wonderful. And yet uh, I sensed God saying, I'm going to move you from there. And I'm gonna, I want you to plant a church. And I want you to go out on your own. And I want, to, I want you to start something brand new. And so I grabbed a handful of people and we moved to Las Vegas in the summer of 2000. And we didn't know anybody. And um, that was a very, that was a huge test of my faith and um, a huge um, uh, time of just calling upon the Lord for his help and for his leading. But it was so cool because when we moved here, we didn't know anybody. But six weeks after being here, the people we were meeting were saying, well, why don't you start a church? I mean, you're here to start a church, so where, where's your church? And we're all, well, we haven't started yet. Well, they go, well, let's just start. Like this Sunday night, why don't you just start? And we're like, well, where? And they go, well, just do it at your home. And so that first week we had 20 people come to our home for church. And then the next week there was 40 people. And then after six weeks we had to move in. We had to move because was, there was 50 people in our home. And our neighbors were getting, like, concerned. And, uh, and then we started six months after being here, we had a 
public service in a school, kind of like this, in a room similar to this, and we had 192 people there. And then the church grew to about, about 150 people a year it grew for eight years to about 1,000 people. And then we, we bought a retail building, and then we bought land. And so if you're on the south side of town at Pecos and the, and the 215, you'll see a big church building. And we built that building, $15 million project of land that we got from the federal government. So uh, that, that was a huge that was a huge deal. So let me ask all of you a question. In fact, let me ask you to just for just a moment, just to protect everybody just a little bit, uh, can, would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? And uh, I just want to ask you a question and, and uh, uh, maybe a few questions. And, and um, uh, just raise your hand if it's true and don't raise your hand if it's not true. And uh, just it'll help me just kind of know where you're at and uh, what's going on in your life. Um, how many of you, by a raise of hands, had a good day today? If you had a good day today. Okay, good. And then just the opposite. How many of you today pretty much had a kind of a bad day? Kind of a bad day. Wow, you guys are a good crowd. Almost everybody said you had a good day. That's really encouraging. Uh, how many of you, uh, without looking around with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, um, feel like you have a genuine daily relationship with God through Christ and you're kind of walking down that path? If that's you, just raise your hand. Great. Um, how many of you came in tonight hungry? Like, not physically hungry, but like, man, something in your, you, you're, you're, something deep in your soul. You're hungry. You're hungry for something besides food. Raise your hand. Okay. God, thank you for uh, putting us together tonight. Uh, me, here, with, at the invitation of uh, Pastor Richie Bach and um, uh, these people who are here by your design and plan. And I pray, oh God, that you would give us a, a really neat time together as we talk about heaven. And I really do pray, God, that by your word and by your truth, people's minds would be blown, really, and this week and next week, and we would see, begin to see some of the things that you have in store for us that, wow, we'd never even thought about. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I was thinking about something today, and uh, I need your help a little bit, um, and you've got to kind of follow along with me just a little bit. So, Christmas is coming up, and Christmas is a, play along with me a little bit, right? Christmas is a holiday in our culture that celebrates what? The birth of Christ, okay, right? Isn't that what it really is? I mean, in its, in its kind of, it's, in its essence, it is a celebration of the birth of Christ. Um, you're looking at me funny, like, okay, I get it. Um, but what has our culture done to Christmas? Yeah. Okay, good. That was a great answer. I don't know if you said it like this, but you, I thought you said it has Santa Claused it. Or you just maybe just said Santa Claus. Somebody else said something though over here. You've commercial, so we've taken a celebration of the birth of Christ, and we've substituted in some ways Santa Claus, and gift giving, and commercialism, and um, what else? What's that? Like food, right? And winter. It's like it's all about winter, and in our schools we don't call it Christmas vacation anymore we call it the winter break and the or the winter holiday or you go to at work if you work in a uh, like an office they now call it the holiday party it's not a christmas party anymore it's the holiday party so we've kind of sanitized christmas from being 
a celebration of Jesus Christ's birth to something weird. It's doing the same thing at Easter, right? Easter is what? The, the recognition or the celebration or the holiday about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? So that really should be the focus of Easter is the resurrection of Christ. And yet, what has our culture kind of done with that? Easter bunny did, right? <laughs> exactly. Here, here's a thought. Um, the Bible says, the Bible says about the devil that he has two main. There's two main characteristics about the devil. He is the destroyer and the deceiver. If you've never heard that before, and you're taking notes write that down because the Bible says that the two main things that the devil does is that he destroys and he deceives. So, and he, he just, he loves to destroy people and things because those people and things give joy to God and the devil hates God and the things that God loves. So, and he's also a deceiver and he, he just, he just lives to lie to people and lie to cultures and lie to uh, massive amounts of people, create lies. I think there are huge religious systems that are just lies that he has created, and they're just so false, but they're so huge. I believe Islam is a big... Muhammad is not a prophet. He was an influential man, but he's not a prophet. And he's certainly not a prophet greater than Jesus. And, um, and if you are a Muslim man and you die in jihad, you do not immediately go to heaven and have 12 virgins for eternity. But because by definition, once you have sex with a virgin, she's not a virgin anymore. They don't get that. I guess. I don't know. But um, so the whole thing. So. Pastor Brett, what are you getting at? I think when it comes to heaven, there's one of these kind of weird things about heaven that is kind of a lot of people think. And so instead of having a real clear biblical picture of heaven, when people think about heaven, they think this. And our culture promotes it. When a lot of people think about heaven, what do they think? What does that mean, universal? Oh, like everybody goes there. Oh, it's just that kind of there's, everybody's there. Nobody goes to hell. That's, I would say that's from having done a lot of funerals. I would say that that pretty much is true. Like, unless you're like Adolf Hitler or his best friend, those two people might not be, but everybody else kind of is there. But when people think about heaven, you have a light over your head. I don't know whether you realize that or not, but you have a light bulb over your head. What are you thinking? Okay, exactly. The picture of heaven in our culture is pearly gates, cloud in the clouds, an angel meeting you, and you're in a what? What are you wearing? A white robe, and what are you doing? You're what? You're flying. Okay, you're because you're in the clouds, right? You're in a white robe and you're flying, and you're singing hymns in the clouds. For how long? Forever. And can I just tell you that if that is heaven, I don't want to go there. But so honestly, because like sometimes the picture that I get of heaven is everybody gathered around singing hymns in the clouds with harps for a long, long time. And it's like an eternal church service don't get me wrong i like church but i don't want to go to church forever and heaven's not about that and we'll look at that and we'll see that in the word but i honestly think that some i think that the devil hear me out i think the devil has propagated kind of a thought or a philosophy in fact it was so weird because like i googled you can like you can go to Google Images. I, in Google Images, I typed in heaven, and literally every picture that came up is pictures of clouds, 
and skies and angels and that is not what that is not what it's all about and and what I want to do tonight and next week is show you from the word some pictures of what heaven and what it's like so you with me great uh, let me pray for us and um, we'll uh, we'll dig in God I pray as we open your word that you would give us eyes to see and a heart to hear it and um, good understanding and uh, and that you would really imprint some pictures in our minds that are true in Jesus name amen um let me lay a little bit more groundwork. When God created, and this, this is just some from what everybody kind of knows about the Bible, and even if you don't know the Bible all that well, uh, you should know this. Um, in the beginning, the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth, and he created the earth and uh, made it uh, very special. And in, even if you're just a pure scientist, you would have to admit that the earth that we live on is a very special place. Um, it's uniquely designed to to handle life, and we look in we look in so many other places in space, and these planets and are not hospitable. But here's this beautiful place that's so hospitable for life, and the Bible says that God created this earth, and He made it so great, and it was beautiful, and but right from the beginning, the first two people who on planet earth the first two people had a choice to obey god or to disobey god and they chose what they chose to disobey and um, the consequences were very severe uh, they were no longer allowed in a portion of the best place that they were assigned to uh, they were cast out of that place um, the earth apparently changed right at that moment too because there was a curse put upon the man and the woman the curse on the man was you'll no longer be able to work easily you're you're going to work but it's going to be toilsome it's going to be hard apparently before this decision work was easier but now work is hard uh, for the woman you will have pain in childbirth it may have been that childbirth was easy before the fall but now childbirth would be painful and um, the earth then um, started to bear the consequences of the disobedience of the first two people. Then more and more people were born, and did more, as more and more people were born and lived, did they choose obedience or did they choose disobedience? They really chose disobedience. It kind of has come down to us. If you've ever had a time in your life where you've done wrong, you're still responsible, but it is in your gene. Okay? It is in your fabric. And uh, unfortunately, you're still responsible, but it is in your genes. But after a time, life on earth became so bad that God said, I'm just going to wipe everything out. And God sent a flood across the whole earth, and the whole earth was changed, absolutely changed. The world that we live in today is absolutely different from the world that God originally created because of the global flood and the destruction that God brought on the earth. But that's not the end of the story, right? God is going to bring about a time where he fixes things. And in my opinion, he can't do it too soon. Are you with me? It would be so nice to live in a world where righteousness dwells. So here's what I'd like you to do. I want, to, I want you to turn to one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Hopefully you have a Bible. I, I'd like us to look at Isaiah chapter 11. And... Uh, uh, if you don't have a Bible, just listen carefully, and I will share, uh, and I'll read. Um, I'll read that. There's actually a remarkable. Um, there's actually a remarkable amount of material in the Bible that talks about what's ahead of us that we have not experienced yet, and it is. 
phenomenal. It's, it's incredible. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? The father of David. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and from the branch his root shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Who is this talking about in the book of Isaiah, 750 years before Christ? The Lord Jesus Christ. He will not judge by what his eyes see or dispute or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Um, Jesus came once to die for sins. He's coming again a second time to rule and to reign. And it the king of the earth. There is going to be a day on planet earth where Jesus reigns as the perfect king. Now, Barack Obama last week had a tough week. Okay? He had a tough week. And, um, and we won't get into politics. But, you know, can I just say this too? I mean, he, got, he had a bad week, but he, he's actually, if he would just have gotten out and said, you know what, everybody? Unemployment's at 6%. The stock market's at a record high. You're all big. You're all fed, pretty much. We live in the greatest country in the world. But he didn't say those things and, he, and a bunch of other stuff, and he got kind of beat up. But there's going to be a day when the king, not the president, but the king is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to execute justice perfectly. But watch this. Look at verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. That's not just kind of magical, nice, hallmark card language. Okay? That is an actual statement of fact of what life is going to be someday on planet Earth. There's going to be a day where a wolf and a lamb will lie down together. And the wolf will not eat the lamb. That's the problem when wolves and lambs get together. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child is going to lead them. The little child is going to stand with the leopard and with the wolf and with the fattened calf. And he's going to lead them. And they're not going to kill the boy. They're not going to kill the boy. Here, this is just a side note. In, in the original creation, in Genesis, it says that when God made everything, he made the earth, and it says that the earth was teeming with animals. And the seas were teeming with life. But because of the flood, the earth was just scoured. And all of that life was buried. Plant life and animal life buried deep and, and it rotted, and today, when you go to the gas station and you pump stuff into your car, that really is, the, that really is what's left of all that. How, where do we get all the oil from? Where do we get all the oil that powers this world? It's all from that stuff that was destroyed in the flood and sent down into these layers. And uh, that's just, but the earth at one point was just teeming with animals. And the seas were teeming with life. I believe that there's going to be a day on earth when the earth again is just filled with animals and the seas just filled with fish and all kinds of crazy stuff. And we're able to have a relationship with animals that is will just be blown away by it. I'm not a big animal guy. I, I, I'm just not. But we, my son has a dog, and every now and then we watch her. And she's this little dog. And it's embarrassing to walk. Like, if I'm out in the neighborhood, I've got a pink, like I've got a pink thing holding this little dog. It's so embarrassing. But it's the cutest little dog in the world, and she loves me, 
and she jumps into my arms. And I know some of you have pets and you love them, and you should. But I have the impression from what the Bible says about the future is that we're going to have a world filled with created things that blow us away. Here's the other thing. The Bible says this. The Bible says that the moment you die, you go into the presence of the Lord. If you're a Christian, if you've allowed Jesus Christ to enter into your life and forgive your sins, and you have a relationship with him, the moment you die, you're in his presence. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you're a Christian, the moment you die, you are with Jesus. And the Bible says that when you see him, you will become like him because you will see him face to face. And so something supernatural is going to happen in the life of a Christian when they die. They're going to see Jesus up close and there's going to be a supernatural transformation. You're going to be made into, you're not going to be made God. Some religions teach that, that you're going to become God. That's not true. There's only one God. But you'll see him and you'll become like him. And what, what's actually going to happen is you're going to become the perfect you that God meant you to be, the perfect human that God meant you to be. And all of your sin and all of your crap and all of the weird things you do all your life are going to be gone. That really should create an amen because I don't know about you, but there's a lot of crap stored up in crevices and in open cracks in my life. And if I hung around you, I would see your stuff too before long, right? And all that stuff's going to be gone. And you're going to be the person that God intended you to be. And watch this. Here's what's going to be true about you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You're going to have a heart for other people. All of your selfishness, all of your lust, all of your greed, all of your addiction, all of your pain, all of your greed, all of the self-centeredness of who you are is just going to drop, drop. It's just going to fall. And you're going to enter into a community of people who are the same. And you're going to have fellowship with people and friendship with people like you've never experienced before in all your life. And you know what keeps us back from experiencing that right now? Is all of our crap. Isn't it? What keeps us from having real relationships and good relationships with people? It's our mistrust, it's our hurt, it's our pain. It's our limitations, it's our, our selfishness, it's our lust, it's our distrust between men and women, it's our distrust between the color of our skin, between the, where we stand and, or sit on the socioeconomic ladder and how we disrespect people just because of maybe where they live or the job that they have or the kind of car that they drive. All that's gone. All that's gone. And we have a closeness to people like we've never experienced it before. In fact, the Bible seems to indicate this. Um, Jesus said clearly, he said, in that life, you're neither married nor given in marriage. So the Mormons, not to pick on anybody, but the Mormons who think that they're going to go, and the, and the jihadists who believe they're going to go into heaven and have wives and sex forever, Wild orgies forever. It's just clearly against the teaching of Jesus who said, in that place there's neither marriage nor people given in marriage. But you're like the angels of God. We say, Pastor Brett, how could there be a really good place without sex? And here's what I would say is, maybe, just maybe, there's something better than sex that you haven't experienced yet. Or, watch this, what if, what if, watch it, just hang with me. What if, what if you could have a relationship with other people, men and women, and, and you're, in, in two, in that life you're not going to be as, I, I don't want to make it, you're not going to be as, like, male, like, man, and, 
woman. You'll still be your person, but you won't be so dominated by your, by your gender. And, but what if in that place you're able to have intimacy with all kinds of people that is even more intimate than a man, a husband and a wife have today in their sexual relationship? And I think that's what the Bible is saying, is in that place we will have relationships with people all kinds of people where it's more intimate than the relationship today between a husband and a wife. And if you stop and think about that, I think for many of us, we long for that. We long to have close relationship, closer relationships with people than, than we have. But so many things get in the way. And, um, but not in that place. Let me just say, too, for, that, for the person, just to be clear, the person who, because this does not happen to everybody. In fact, Jesus says this does not happen to the majority. It happens to the minority, right? Jesus said because the gates to hell are broad, and the road to hell, the road to destruction is wide. Most people go to hell, according to Jesus. I'm not saying that, but according to Jesus, most people choose hell. You say, Pastor Brett, why would God allow most people to go to hell? And my answer to that question is, God has done everything in his power to keep them from going there. Um, and they're lied to, and they believe a lie. And... Um, but if you, if you do not choose Christ and you do not choose his way, you will, you will get what you want. You'll get exactly what you want. You'll be able to spend eternity by yourself. It's just like God says, fine. I'm just honoring your choice. You want to spend eternity without me? Then you can spend eternity by yourself. And, and that's what hell is. So, and yet there's these pictures that are so um, rich. The nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the, at, on the snake's den. They shall neither hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for all the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant of, of the remains of his people from Assyria and Egypt and Pathos and Cush and Elam, from Shinar and Hamath, from across the coastlands of the sea to the islands of the sea. And he will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and, and gather to the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now, some of you are a little confused. Let me explain what happens. If you were to die today, and I don't wish that on you, but if you were to die today and you're a Christian, you go in immediately into the presence of the Lord, right? We already said that. To be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says that. So you die, you're immediately in the presence of the Lord. But you're in, you're not on earth, right? But you're with the Lord. But the Bible says that Jesus is going to return to earth at a certain point in our future. And all the saints are coming with him. And they're going to come and do battle with him, but it's really him who's leading the way. And they're going to reign on the earth for a thousand years. Look with me at Revelation chapter 20. I just want you to see that. Revelation chapter 20 and 21 uh, teach and show us that Jesus will reign on the earth for a thousand years. Um, look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. Uh, then I, uh, we got like two minutes left, so hang with me. Are you okay? You guys all right? Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Interesting. What does he do? 
deceive the nations. He's not going to be able to deceive the nations during the time that Christ reigns on the earth. He's going to be chained and sealed and put away. He won't be able to lie to the world any longer. Until the thousand years were ended, after that it says he must be released for a little while. Interesting. Wow. By the way, some of you have heard this, that uh, if the devil ever gets on your case and he reminds you of your past, open up Revelation chapter 20 and remind him of his future. If Of all the Bible, this has got to be the three verses that he hates the most. You ever feel like the devil's on your case? Just open up the Bible. I'm gonna re- devil, I'm going to read Revelation chapter 20 to you and tell you about your future. Because you don't you do not have one. Those people who know Christ, the moment they die, they will be with him. And you're like, well, does that, are we just like standing around with Jesus for like hundreds of years? Are we kind of like in a room like this with Jesus, just kind of waiting? Like, okay, Jesus, when is it time for you to return to earth? The Bible says that a thousand with the Lord, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. So time is not the same. And when you're with the Lord, it's not going to be like you're sitting around with your new eye watch on, right? Going, hmm, I wonder when it's time for the Lord to come back. Because in that place, you really won't be, it just won't matter to you. But then you will come back to earth with him. And you will reign with him. For a thousand years. Now, if this were to happen, and this may happen in our lifetime, some of us may be alive and go into, well, if you're here, I got ahead of myself. The Bible says that at some point on, on planet Earth, those of us who are alive will be caught up with the Lord to meet him in the air. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Christians will be taken off of the earth to meet the Lord in the air. And then the Bible says that there's coming on earth a period of time that is so bad, it's worse than anything that's ever happened in human history. It's like 2008 recession and World War II and World War I and the Vietnam War all compacted into seven years of just terror on the earth. And... um, in that time, uh, uh, an antichrist, uh, a person of great authority will rise up. Christians will be killed. But at the same time, Jews, Jewish people from all over the world will finally get it. And they will embrace Jesus as their Messiah during that time. Thousands of them, tens of thousands of them. And they will become mighty evangelists for Christ. And they will preach the gospel. And many people will come to Christ during that tribulation period. I threw a lot of stuff at you guys tonight. Wow. Did anybody have one of these? Did you have one of these? A little bit? Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop. I'll take two questions. And then next week, since we, I didn't know we had PowerPoint, next week I'll put some stuff on the screens and we'll make it a little bit better, a little bit more visual. And... Um, uh, and then you, you can ask questions, too, of all of this next week. I'm throwing a lot of stuff at you. But you seem okay. Seem like you're all right with it. Okay? Two questions about anything I just said or about heaven. I am. That's what we, that's not a biblical word. That comes from a Latin word. Um, But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Lord's going to come back and he's going to up. And that's what the Latin word rapture basically means, to take up. He's going to take up his people. Nope. 144,000 are 
witnesses during the tribulation period. And I believe those are, those are the Jewish people who come to faith during that tribulation period. Because the 144,000 are 12,000 from each tribe. They're Jewish people. And that has to be miraculous because no Jewish person today knows what tribe they were a part of. It's going to have to be God who sorts that out and tells them what tribe they're a part of because all the genealogies and all the records were destroyed when Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D., 35, 40 years after the life of Jesus. So, does that make sense? One other question. Oh, I got to tell you one thing. This is my big thing right there. This is my really big thing. Jesus is different than us. But after his resurrection, he had a glorified body. Now, he may be he may be the only one who's able to do this because he's God. But I believe that it's it's conjecture, but it's possible that with a glorified body, you can do things differently than you can do today. For example, in the Gospels, after Jesus was resurrected, he did things differently with his body than happened before the resurrection. I'll give you an example. One day he was in Galilee in the morning, and in the evening he was in Jerusalem. That's 90 miles. Okay? Even if you're a marathon runner, you can't get there on your feet like that. But Jesus in the same day went from Galilee in the morning to Jerusalem at night, somehow breaking the barriers of time and space. And then when he got to the room, the room where the disciples were meeting, it says the door was locked. Do you remember this? The door was locked. The disciples were gathered inside. And he knocked and was invited in? No, what does it say? He appeared to them. He was able to just walk through. Again, it may be because he is God, but it could just be that he has a glorified body. Now, here's this is just conjecture, all right? But how cool would this be if on the new earth, in this reign of Jesus for a thousand years on this earth, you have a glorified body. You're able to do things that you can't do today. In other words, you're able to be in places that you today could only get if you flew there. But what if, in a glorified body, you said, let's go surfing in Newport. And you were just there. Or what if you said to your friends, let's have dinner in Shanghai. Let's have the best Chinese food in Shanghai. And you just went there. That would almost be like heaven. Wow. Or what if you wanted to body surf? No. What if you wanted to go skiing in the Alps in the morning, but it's summer in Sydney, so you went skiing in the Alps in the morning, and you went surfing in Australia in the afternoon. That would be like heaven, wouldn't it? And what if you were able to go all around the world freely and visit different peoples and different cultures and eat different foods. You know, there's 5,000 different people groups on planet Earth. 5,000 different peoples who speak a language or share the same custom and have the same food and live in proximity to one another and like the same kinds of things, but they have great food and customs and there's Christians in so many of them and they all have their own way of sharing their faith and they have their own songs and food and customs and worship styles and you're able to visit 
with all these different people. And they want to come, and they want to come see you, and they want to talk to you. People want to talk to you because you were a Christian, and you lived in Las Vegas in the 21st century. You lived in America in the 21st century. I want to talk to you. Lord, open our eyes to truth about our future and not to lies uh, like this guy over here just said so wisely, the Santa Claus thing and the Easter Bunny thing and uh, the picture that heaven is a cloud and a heart because it's certainly not that at all. And help us to uh, see from your word what, uh, what these things really are. Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before next week, it'd be kind of cool if you would do a little bit of homework and read Revelation chapter 20, 21, and 22. If just read that just to kind of see and maybe put some of these things that I just talked about into kind of perspective just a little bit. John, thank you. Thanks, everybody.